0: As we keep thinking together about uh, helping people helping people move, move to the right, being apprentices of Jesus who help people move to the right, keep thinking about your community group. Think about uh, your neighbor. Again, we're getting this vision, both a vision, categories, definition, languages to use to help us think about what it means to be followers and apprentices of, uh, of Jesus. So, hey, let's pray. We'll get going again. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would again give us uh, teachable spirits, spirits ready to learn and, uh, and eager to, uh, to see this vision of the Christian life and to, and to ask, uh, what really is most important to me? If you were to put my, my agenda on the table, what would, you, what would you see? So continue to teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, let's get going. Go ahead, guys.
1: Well, thank you again for, I just was encouraging Matt, and i encourage you. Uh, you are asking great questions, making great observation. It is really, really encouraging to be with a bunch of people who love the Lord, love His Word, and want to think deeply about it. So, thank you for that. Just, uh, there's two questions I have burning in my mind, listening to the first session. Um, Tony? Yes? <laughs> yeah, right. Yep, there we go. So you, you're a man who likes to be precise with his words. I do. Yep. You, you know, we've talked about apprentice and follower. So if we break for morning tea and everybody brings coffee, drinks coffee, is it still called morning tea? Are you <laughs> I mean, drinking you tea or coffee? That's coffee. <laughs> okay. So is it still morning tea?
2: It's still morning tea. Like if you had a coffee break and somebody had a cup of tea instead of coffee, would that be okay? Like...
1: It'd just be weird. <laughs>
2: All right. Anyway, it, it goes back to our British heritage, you know, morning tea, afternoon tea. It's just a cultural thing, but uh, most Australians would drink coffee at this time of the morning. I mean, you need it, don't you? You've got to have coffee at this time of the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, so thank you again. Uh, reminding the, the idea that we, everything we're doing in terms of moving people towards the right uh, is, is part of making disciples. And uh, as we get Tony back up here, my second question for him, uh, I'll ask it and get him to think about it before he comes up there is, uh, the question naturally then is, how do we do that? If everything is about helping but ourselves moving one step to the right and helping others come along with us, how is it that we do that? Now I come from a similarly deep red state politically. I don't want you to get confused by saying, you know, we want everybody to move to the right, that we want them to watch, you know, more, more Fox News, you know, like MSNBC, CNN, Fox, that's, that's not the point. Lots of churches who adopt this language, and we'll talk more about language in a minute here, uh, can't use in their context <laughs> our goal is to move everyone to the right. Our brothers in Chicago, we were just with, it doesn't gonna wor- it's not going to work for them. Uh, too many hang-ups uh, and barriers to that. But just to the idea, and remember, like everything we're doing, we're trying to move people to the right. And I just want to make a point here about why Matthias Media as a ministry exists. Uh, we're a tiny publisher compared to some really good publishers out there, Crossway and the like. We're really grateful for other Christian publishers. We're, we're really a more of a ministry than a publisher. Uh, we're not trying to just get a bunch of books out there and hope, you know, something might help. We actually are very precise in what we want to publish. And we try to publish resources, as Matt said earlier, and I appreciate that, to help someone move themselves and another, or more than one, to the right. So I just want to encourage you to take a look at a few books. I'd love for everyone, or as many as possible, to leave with one of these really essential books. I tried to bring a lot of different types of books, and many of you got back there and looked at them. But one of them, Tony wrote a book called The Thing Is that he wrote about 10 years ago that is trying to, in a short, accessible book format, talk about this idea of that our agenda in life is to press forward towards maturity uh, by setting our hearts and minds on God's word and to bring others with us. And this would be a really good short book to read with a Christian friend who might be here kind of stuck and misunderstanding that churches, not just to come to consume good teaching and good preaching and good music and good kids ministry, but to come and be equipped To bring others to the right. So it's called The Thing Is. I'd really encourage you to take a look at that. Tony also wrote a book uh, around the same time called How to Walk in the Church. And of all the places Tony said, you know, we're to make disciples of whoever's in front of us wherever we're at. One of the places to start doing that is when you walk in the church. And you're not just here to consume good sermons by Pastor Phil or others, but you're here to be a worker for the gospel. We'll talk more about this probably later this morning and after lunch, but it's a short book to kind of help you rethink your Sunday mornings and help others rethink how to walk in the church. And then finally, I would say just uh, promote the, uh, the Learn the Gospel book that Matt mentioned earlier. What animates us or moves us to the right is as we gaze upon the Lord and King Jesus Christ. And we want to follow him, obey him, and have his heart to seek and save the lost and bring others uh, into his kingdom. And that is really the gospel of Jesus Christ, is getting that clear and correct from Scripture. And and learn the gospel would be a great thing that you could do one-to-one with someone. You could do in your small groups. Uh, you can even work through it on your own, but we really encourage you to go through it with other people. And Tony wrote this a couple years ago, and it's been really help. Our whole church went through it uh, to help us get around, get our understanding of the gospel properly oriented from the Bible and not just kind of assumptions. So those three highlights there, I'd encourage you to take a look at. Uh, We also have a back there, a a brochure that you can look at, and it lists all the books and resources in in kind of in the moving to the right terms. You can just grab one of these for free and take a look at that. So Tony, I'm going to get you back up here to help us answer the question that kind of should be percolating in our head, speaking of coffee, uh, is the idea that is how is it that we actually move to the right
2: yeah, and I had some great conversations over, over Morning Tea with a number of you uh, raising some of the questions that we're going to deal with right now. So I'm, I'm glad you're with me and you're getting to, hang on, what does this look like for me? How do, how do I do this? How do I do it given the person I am, given the circumstances I have? Uh, we're going to look at one more Bible passage um, in the book of Ephesians, just to tease out very quickly how it is that apprentices are moved to the right, how they become more like Jesus. Now, I think you've probably already got a decent idea because we've already, we've already looked at Matthew 28. We already know that it's going to have something to do with the news about Jesus being the king of everything, that there's going to be some teaching involved somehow about that. There's going to be a call to change and repent. There's be, we've already had a few hints about how disciples or apprentices are made in the book of Ephesians, Paul's talking about his ministry, how he's been going around proclaiming this Christ, the Christ who is the supreme one, the one in whom everything is summed up, all God's plans are summed up in him. He's the, he's the one. It's even come to you Ephesians. It started off with us Jews, but it's come to you Ephesians. And then he says in chapter two how that gospel sort of brings us Jew and Gentiles together, the nations, the lost people and God's people now all together in Christ. And so it's a book about proclamation, but it's interesting. Also, it's also a book about prayer. And in chapter three, sorry, you're wondering where I am in Ephesians. In chapter three, Paul gives this marvelous prayer that really um, complements all that he's been saying about the proclamation of the gospel that has brought the Ephesian church into existence and that has brought them to Christ and raised them with him. He says, for this reason, in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, or could be the whole family, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, so that the world ruler the king, remember that's what Christ means, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, he's talking there about love as a kind of like a foundation, the the foundation stone of the whole thing, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us and to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Majestic passage, isn't it? Um, What it points out to us though is something very important. How is it that people move in this direction? How do they come to know Christ and grow in Christ? Well, it's through what we call four Ps. It's always good in Christian ministry to have things that start with the same letter, and to uh, have alliteration. And so, following that tradition, um, we, we like to talk about four Ps. We've already heard one of, the, seen one of them already, and that is proclamation. people be, people come to be apprentices of Jesus when they hear that Jesus is the king that they should be apprenticed to there's a word there's a proclamation there's a great momentous piece of news that's what a gospel is a gospel that this Jesus is the king of all people everywhere before whom you must submit and turn and who will forgive your sins and save you from death and judgment this message this gospel this proclamation is what causes someone to say, hey, I've got to stop living this side. I need to change completely and and submit myself and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a proclamation. There is a word that points to Jesus, explains Jesus, that repeats the commands of Jesus. Um, A young guy called Kerrick, it was Kerrick, wasn't it? Came up and saw me uh, during the break. He did a study of the Gospels a few years ago and itemized all 335 commands of Jesus. How about that, eh? So that in terms of learning to keep all the commands of Jesus, there's plenty of them to learn. There's plenty, there's plenty to learn that's commanded and taught through the proclamation of Jesus that his apprentices proclaim. So proclamation, speaking of the word, pretty straightforward, right? It's got to involve that. But as we've just seen in Ephesians 3, what does Paul do? He prays that the Spirit would work through that proclamation, He's been teaching the Ephesians, they've been teaching each other, but he longs and prays that God's spirit would work in their inner being so that their eyes would open and they grasp it, just how deep and incredible it is. In other words, what pushes people in this direction is not just the speaking of words, vital, but the work of God's spirit within the heart of the person we're speaking the words to. In a sense, you could say it's no use speaking the words unless we pray also that God's spirit would work. If God's spirit doesn't work in the inner being of the person we're speaking to, no matter where they are on this spectrum, they won't move to the right. It'll bounce off their heads like the seed bounced off the the path in the parable of the sower. The word of God is powerful, but our hearts are dead and hard and resistant and the Word of God only takes root and grows and produces fruit where God has tilled the soil of, of the hearts of the people we speak to. So praying that the Spirit would work is an absolutely essential second P. Third P is kind of, it captures up a lot of things. It's people. Now, it's kind of obvious to say it's people. It's people who proclaim... And it's people who pray, like Paul did, that that God would send his spirit to change hearts. But it's really important to say that that what drives this engine forward is people Um, because as we saw before our, our break, those people who speak the word and who pray that it's effective are not just pastors. This P is not pastor's or, um, I don't know, professionals or priests. It's God's people. It's all of us. As all of us speak the word in whatever way we can and pray that God makes it effective, we help the people around us, wherever they might be, take one step forward. Um, if we wanted to keep going in Ephesians, we could see in verses chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, how Paul goes on to say this. how does the body grow? It grows as each ligament and part does its work. Remember that passage? Like a body with lots of different interconnecting parts. As each part speaks the truth in love, one with another. Same thing. There's speaking going on, motivated by love, to one another, and that's how the body grows. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Now, there's a number of really helpful things to say about people, about what I mean by people. Uh, One is, for example, that these people who speak the word, so these people are Christians, they're apprentices. These apprentices are all different stages along this spectrum. They're at all different points of maturity in Christ and they have all different opportunities. I was speaking to a young woman here during the break who's a a stay-at-home mum. We say mum in Australia. What what should I say? Mom. I can't can't say that. Stay-at-home mum, stay-at-home mother. How about let's do that? A stay-at-home mother looking after kids. What's going to be my opportunities to move someone to the right? i just got a lot of work to do looking after these kids. I mean, that season of life where I'm kind of a bit restricted. My social, my social life has ceased to exist, and I'm just looking after these kids. There's a lot to do, right? We've all been through a stage where we've had young kids in the home. Your opportunities for moving people to the right at that stage will be different, It might be that you meet regularly with other mums to play in the park and do stuff, and those are the people, wherever they are on this spectrum, that you seek to move to the right. It could be that you're in a mums group, a mothers group at church that gets together to kind of mind each other's kids and kind of give each other a break. Maybe these are Christians, and in that context, God has put you with those women. Now, he's not going to put someone like me with those women, a guy whose kids have all a guy whose kids have all grown up and left home, but he's put you there. You're there with an opportunity to move those people around you to the right in a way that I never will, that Pastor Phil never will, that three quarters of the people in this room never will. In other words, it's so brilliant that God uses all of us as apprentice makers, you know, all of us in all our different array, all, all different places, because we all connect with different people, we all have different opportunities. And the key thing is not to think, oh, I'm so limited, I only can do this, but who is it that God has put in my life? Or how, with a little step forward and a little bit of love, could I actually connect with some people who are there to be connected with if I had the eyes to see it? It also connects with something someone else asked me at Morning Tea about gifting. Um, The brilliant thing about the fact that God uses all his people to push people to the right is that we tend to be good at different things. Uh, Some of us are just naturals at connecting with new people and just we can be friends with anybody, we can strike up a a conversation with anyone, we're kind of a bit extroverted, and we're just brilliant at it. We're the ones who always get to know all the neighbours in the street within the first three weeks, you know? We're that kind of person. Others of us, we kind of, we tend to have a smaller circle and we tend to stick with the same people but for a longer period of time. We're really good at being friends with someone for five years and really getting to know them deeper. We're all different in the things we're good at, and that will mean that often there are different sorts of people on this spectrum that we are really gifted to move to the right. Some people are really great at getting next to a new Christian and looking after them. Some people are great. I talked to a lady who's really great at having conversations with people on airplanes and telling them the gospel. Um, within a one-hour flight. Now, I'm not very good at that. I I just tend to put my headphones in and try and pretend that I I don't want to talk. So we're all different, right? But some of us are that person who strikes up a conversation and what do you know? You're talking about Jesus within 15 minutes. I think those people are brilliant. Um, And those people should do it. So we're, we're all good at different sorts of things. But here's the thing. Because we love people, because love, right, we don't limit ourselves to what we're good at We take the opportunities that God puts us in front of us. So if an introvert like me, and believe me, I'm a bit of an introvert, if I'm sitting next to someone on a plane and a miracle happens and we start to talk to each other, and it becomes apparent that there's an opportunity to actually tell this person something of who the Lord Jesus is, and I think to myself, oh, sorry, it's not my gift. Um, That's hopeless. That's not love. It's a little bit like... um, a football, I'll use, I was going to say soccer, but that's not going to work. It's like football. Every now and then, one of those gigantic sort of players who look like a fridge with eyes. What are they called? Um, like the, the centre, you know, kind of a defensive end or something. I don't know what these people are. Anyway, some gigantic person whose job is just to sort of destroy other people. Every now and then, the ball falls into his hands and he's only 10 yards out from the line... What's he going to do? Is it his job to to score touchdowns? No, it's the wide receivers and all the other people, right? They're the ones who score the touchdowns. But if the ball falls into his hands and the line is there, what's he going to do? Run, waddle towards towards the try line and get over there, right? It's like that with a Christian life. We all got different gifts, but because we love people, we just take what God puts in front of us and we do what we can. And the amazing thing is... That because it's the word that's powerful and the spirit that makes it effective, God uses it to bless other people. Okay, so the the third P is people. It's all of us, each in our own way, in our own context, in our own situations, that speak the word that pushes other people forward in Christ. Uh, And the final thing is just to say, the fourth P is patience. Um, This all takes time. Friends of mine in Australia who uh, are really involved in evangelistic work with non-Christian people, trying to work out when a church gets to know somebody or comes into contact with a completely non-Christian person, say a, a member of the church meets someone and invites them to church, that's the first, or just gets to know them over the back fence, and that's the first contact with that person, my friends tell me that on average, just on average, I mean. It's not a formula. But on average, it's about 50 contact points, 50 conversations, 50 episodes of pushing to the right before that person becomes a Christian, on average, in Australia. That's a lot of points, is That's a lot of contact points. That's a lot of patience and prayer for people to think their way through all the issues and understand and for it to click and as the Spirit works in their hearts. Now, sometimes it's three contacts and sometimes it's 475. You know, some, some people, it takes a long time. But patience is needed because, well, because our hearts are hard and because the work of growing like Jesus or becoming like Jesus uh, takes time. So it's four Ps that move us to the right. That's the engine that moves to the right. And one really interesting thing to do, we won't have much time to do it today, it's really worth looking at everything you do in church and asking this question. How... Through some combination of the four P's, is this thing we're doing together moving people to the right? If it's not, if the activity or program you're doing doesn't have one of those P's or doesn't have it much at all, and nobody's actually being pushed to the right because we're not using those means that God has given us, well, it's worth saying, well, how can we fix that part of what we do as a church? But that's a, another whole big question for you to ponder. But every single thing we do as a church community, really should be some form of pushing people to the right through word, prayer, and personal contact over time. That's the engine. Make sense? Any questions before I head? Marty's going to sort of take us into a different level of this in in just a moment, but any quick questions before we move on? Yeah, what a great question. Uh, I'm not sure how... There's obviously a lot of personal detail and nitty-gritty in this because... Moving people to the right, seeing them move to the right is not a straightforward process. Like, it's all linear on this diagram. It kind of looks majestic, right? You just keep pushing and everyone just keeps marching wonderfully one step further closer to Jesus. It's, it's often a bit kind of three steps backwards, two steps forward, one step backward, three steps forward. Kind That's, that's the Christian life sometimes. Um, and it's messy because uh, if we were going to be more accurate with this, and I sometimes do this in the diagram, you would actually draw the diagram like this. In other words, even as we become apprentices of Jesus, we continue to live in the world, in a sinful world, and sin continues to have its own place in our own lives. In many ways, what moving to the right is, is putting sin to death in our own lives and resisting the call of sin in the world and continuing to become more like Jesus. And so it's messy, sister, as, as you find it. You find yourself in all sorts of difficult circumstances. This fellow you're talking about, who is he? Is he actually a converted Christian who just has huge amounts of personal baggage and real problems that he needs to work through that are, could be psychological problems by the sound of it? Or is he, in fact, not a Christian who, who just can say a few Christian words and kind of go through the motions Of of declaring to be, but is in fact completely unrepentant. Now, at one level, um, God knows that only God knows the heart. But the wonderful thing about this is, our role is not to judge His heart or to figure out where He is. Our role is to present the Word to the sky, and it would be the same Word. I don't know if if you just haven't submitted your life to Jesus, and you really need to or whether you have submitted your life to Jesus, but you've got some big issues to deal with. Either way, your response is the same and my word to you is the same. There's no future in sinfulness. The only future is with the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your trust in him and changing your life and becoming like him step by step. How can I help you do that? And brother, it seems you've got real problems, especially in controlling your temper and how you relate to other people. You need some help with that, and I'd love to help you and pray for you if I can. Now, whether that's you and your husband's role, might be. It's someone's role in that person's life. Um, and if God has put you there prayerfully with trepidation, maybe it's, maybe it's possibly your responsibility or your opportunity to do that. But someone should, his pastor should, someone should confront, confront ungodly behaviour. Because that's what moving the right is. The word, the, word, the, the word that pushes to the right, remember, is teaching and admonishing. It's not only explaining to you and encouraging you to move forward, it's also saying, brother, sister... That's not behaviour that's becoming a, of an apprentice of Jesus Christ. That's not how Jesus lives. We, we need to pray that this can change because that kind of way of living, that kind of behaviour, that's what repentance is. I'm no longer going to live that way. I'm going to live a new way. But thank you for the question. And for, it, it highlights that this process is one of patience and of long-term and it's messy. It's not, it's not all really clear-cut, not as clear-cut as it looks on the diagram. I think at this point I might hand over to Marty so he can give a little break from my Australian accent. Um, uh, Marty's going to um, going to talk about how this process of moving people to the right through the four Ps, there's a way we can, th- we can think about it. It kind of can feel a bit confusing. So It's so long and so kind of individual. He's going to give us some language and some ideas to think about it more clearly. I'll rub this off Marty while you make a start.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tony. Sorry. Yeah, just a story to get started about the four P's. Uh, I had a friend at our church named Peter. Peter, uh, I knew him for a number of years. We played tennis together. Uh, and I, Peter was a very accomplished man, a, car, a pediatric cardiologist. And as I got to know him in context of church and tennis... Um, he would just come in and kind of, his goal in life was to kind of block everything else possible to keep focus on his career and to raise his family well. And he would say that pretty much. And for years, I thought, geez, where is Peter at? Like, where, where, where is he? But one thing I didn't know is Peter was turning up to church regularly. He was coming to Bible study regularly. And people, myself including, were praying for him regularly. One Sunday night, Peter walked into the tennis league we were playing and he said, you know, Marty, I've, I've, we've done this, uh, all this stuff I did in the group Peter was at, in, he came and he said, all that stuff you've been saying for the last three years hit me all this weekend. I was at a church in Toledo, Ohio, and I heard a seminar about marriage and it all made sense to me now. And so while I my visual for Peter was he was just stuck, kind of fledgling around here, Christian guy, no doubt, but didn't know where. He didn't seem to be moving to the right. All of a sudden now, I realized Peter took a giant step that most likely behind the scenes, God was moving him inch by inch over the months and years because Peter was in the context of the four Ps regularly. He's showing up the church. He was coming to Bible study, people were praying for him, and we were showing patience. Now, that doesn't mean we just allow him to do whatever he wanted, but it meant that patience, the last P, was really, really important for us. So we didn't just chuck him out and say, hey, forget it, he's hopeless. It was such a great reminder to me to, A, the need for prayer, and B, the need for patience. Um, and and the other one, the reason I'm telling this story is um, it's illustrative of the idea that we're all in this together. It wasn't like Peter was only hearing that, the proclamation from me. It wasn't like I was the only one praying for Peter. It wasn't like I was the only person ministering the gospel to him. That we're all in this together hoping and praying and presenting the truth to Peter so that he would move to the right. And in God's kindness today, he's being considered an elder. He's teaching a Sunday school and leading a small group at our church uh, because of the four P's being applied to him. And we have lots of stories like that at our church, and I'm sure you do as well. But it's a reminder that this idea of moving to the right, that we are all in into this together. As we've talked about moving to the right at our church quite a bit over the years, uh, one, one kind of thing it, we want to stop and say at this point, it both raises the bar and lowers the bar at the same time for disciple making. It raises the bar, as Tony said, is that as we went through, I think, pretty well from scriptures, that every person has a responsibility to move others around them to the right. There is not this sense that those people over there do discipleship and I do other things. There's not the sense this is a job for my pastors or our ministry leaders. It raises the bar. All of you in here are rightward moving Christians, both personally uh, for yourself as you set your heart and mind on things above, Colossians 3, but also to help others move to the right. It raises the bar that it's not just the people, 100 people in this room, it's everyone who will go into the auditorium tomorrow morning. It raises that bar. The normal Christian life is a life to see others grow in Christ. And so kind of historically, we had these kind of two pockets of Christianity. We have, we hear the gospel of grace and we respond with our ethical kind of response to to shape up our lives and continue to reform our lives ethically, morally, we might say, right? And then over here is there's the ministry side of it. And what this does is it brings these two, in one sense, all together, is that my moral response, my ethical response to the gospel is to love people so that they would respond to the gospel. So there's no sense that like, I'll get my own house in order here, and then when that happens, I'll start thinking about other people. That's not how it works. First of all, uh, none of us would say that our house is completely in order, so much so that I cannot stop, stop worrying about that and think about others. That's first of all. Second of all, this is interesting just using this little arrow, this simple arrow that kind of does so much. It doesn't do everything, but it does so much is that let me just use myself as an example. I'm a pastor at our church and people at our church (laughs) wrongly think I'm here. Okay, Uh, and they may assess themselves back here. This is where lowering the barrier of entry to disciple making is helpful, right? We've raised the barrier, we've raised the bar in the sense of saying everyone's responsible, but we're also lowering it in the sense of in traditional understandings of discipleship and disciple making, we think of it as a teacher-student relationship or someone who's here and gets with someone who's here. And there's a lot of value to that. But remember, we're not trying to make apprentices to ourselves. We're trying to make apprentices to the Lord Jesus Christ, And we do that through the four Ps, right? So let's say that even if this is the case, that Pastor, uh, well, Pastor Matt is here. I know he is here. Pastor Matt is here. uh, And you're here. Even in this relationship, you can help Pastor Matt move to the right by applying the four Ps to him. So you would... In kind of traditional or I think wrongly understood views of disciple making, you would think, well, no, I have to be in a relationship with with someone who's less farther back than than, to their left than me. But think about it. If you're here, what could you do to Pastor Matt to push him to the right? You can and should pray for him regularly. You could send him a text or a note or say to him in the hall, like, you know, Pastor Matt, last week when I was in your Bible study, you said something really helpful about Colossians 3. And it's just been dwelling with me this week. And let me tell you how it's really helped me. You've just encouraged him to the right in his belief in God's word, that the Holy Spirit is working amongst the people. You've just pushed him to the right. right? And so we are actually saying by raising the bar of disciple making to say that everyone is involved as their ethical, moral response to the gospel, we're also trying to, at the same time, lower the barrier to entry to suggest it's not just for people who are high and mighty in their spirituality with the people who are less so. It's for everyone, no matter where they're at in this spectrum, on this side of, on this, to the right, can help anybody else along the whole way move to the right. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? That it's not about, it's, we do have wonderful models in scripture. Tony mentioned them: in Paul and Epaphras and Apollos. We have Titus chapter two, right? Older men and younger men, older women, younger women. There's good models there, but let's not restrict ourselves to thinking that's the only way and only place and only approach. Right? It happens, as Tony has mentioned many times, many times in many places in a variety of ways. And so Tony mentioned the idea that some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts, uh, um, you know, I, I feel bad for Tony because we travel together and sometimes we room together. I'm a high extrovert. So after a day like today, I, just, I have more energy than he can handle and I just want to talk to him. So we have a five-hour drive back to Chicago and he does not want to talk to me for one minute on that five drive because he's an introvert and he'll be drained. But I've got a captive audience because I'll drive and he can't. And so he has to talk to me. But even if we have our different personalities, think about the introvert who is shy, who just can't get over himself or herself to do some of the things it seems like those super gifted people do. Right? That person, and, and what, we bemoan technology. I have teenagers, I get it. But in another sense, we, ha- it's, we praise God for the opportunity that I can type out a, 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 Bible, a Bible verse that hit me this morning and hit send on my phone, and I can proclaim the word of God to someone by sending a short, simple text. And I don't have to say a word, I don't have to be in front of anybody. I can write out an old-fashioned note card and say, you know what, just this week, I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about you. Let me just send this in the mail. What an encouragement to open up an old-fashioned letter or a note card and read God's word. And you could just push someone to the right that way. Right. So no matter your personality type, no matter your situation, as Tony said, you can actually help someone move to the right by applying the four P's to that person in as many ways as possible. You can shoot them a sermon podcast from Pastor Phil or someone or one of uh, you can buy a Christian book and give it to somebody and help them think about Jesus Christ more, more and better. All right. So any questions on that? Does that make sense? Raising the raising the bar. Everyone disciple-making, lower the barrier to entry. Yes, okay, great question. The question is along the lines of, do the four Ps that Tony put up there have to be done in order in that sense? And clearly, in the, you already answered it in one sense yourself. No, it's not like you have to first proclaim. In this case, right, one of the prayers I pray, it's, it's just my own colloquial way to say it, is God, get someone with the gospel in front of this person. When I don't have the opportunity Right. God, get someone with the gospel in front of this person. By your spirit, Lord, please move within the hearts and minds of someone around this person so that th- whoever this person is in a relationship with and respects and is willing to talk to, and we'll say more about that in a minute here, engage with this person to evangelize this person. So absolutely. Uh, the four P's, remember, it's these are the ingredients for any faithful biblical ministry, of, the, of, of doing anything to move to someone to the right. But it doesn't mean that all four always have to be there. You think about, you probably have a prayer meeting, right? And it's primarily the second P. Now, the first P comes through in how you pray out loud because you are proclaiming truths as you pray and you're modeling the truths of God and the truths of what's important. You think about the Lord's prayer, your, your will be done, your kingdom come, things like that. Uh, So, yes, I would say just in shorthand, you do not have to do them in order, um, but it is the things, the four Ps not only give us the model, they give us, in one sense, the, the content for our prayers, right? That you are praying that God would proclaim the gospel to this man through someone, somehow, right? And you are praying for the other Ps at the same time while you're just expressing that P of prayer. Does that make sense? Um, Tony, is there anything you want to add to that?
2: Um, oh, not really. I, I to say kind of what's obvious. There's a bit of a tradition, certainly where we come from in Australia, of, of kind of wanting to avoid the first P, especially yes. for everyday Christians. We can pray. We can get to know people. We can kind of be friendly. We can do all kinds of stuff, but the, the actual speaking of the word will leave to someone else. Uh, someone more gifted than me sometimes it's expressed in look I'll let my life be an example and a witness but I'm not sure I've got the ability to actually say anything Um, so so long as we don't sort of put that that first p off in a kind of different category and say that's not for me I think all that we've just been saying is is very very helpful and obviously true it's just as Christians that some form of speaking the word in whatever way God allows us to, as we train, we can train and grow and become better. It might be that you're the kind of person who just needs to give a book to somebody because you're not so good at explaining. It also could be you need to learn to be someone who can explain. We can all grow in our ability to talk. So as long as we don't cut that first fee adrift, which I know you're not wanting to do, but that's the only other thing I'd say.
1: Yep. Any other questions? Raising the bar... Everyone's a disciple-making disciple. Everything you do in the name of Christ, this is the great capstone to Colossians 3, right? Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, right? That you are coming, him we proclaim, we're coming in the name of the Lord to live our lives in front of people and to speak from the overflow of our heart such that we are presenting Christ so that they move forward towards maturity. Raising the bar, lowering the barrier of entry. Disciple making doesn't have to be a program, a specific type. Now programs and things are helpful, right? Your pastors have read the book Trellis and Vine and it's the idea that trellises help support the growth of the vine. So structures and mentoring relationships, one-to-one Bible reading, small groups, they're all good structures, but you don't have to be part of that in order to move to the right. What you have to be is in context of word, prayer, and people, okay? Now we we also know that in one sense, it's really this grand vision we want to give you that you want to move everyone towards maturity in Christ. And it, it seems kind of daunting at points. You know, there's the start of, hey, we want you to make disciples. That's a big daunting task. So we're trying to make it once and simpler to understand is that it's just finding out wherever someone is and helping that person move one step towards maturity in Christ. Um, another layer to this uh, to help us understanding and, and one sense, think clearly in our minds, both personally and around your church, is we put another layer to this called the four E's. We have the four P's Tony just mentioned. The four E's is kind of like the, the big sections of moving people to the right. And so the first thing we've already mentioned a number of times is we want to engage people in relationship. We want to talk to people engage people such that, that we become a, a trusted person that they can talk with about life, right? Uh, so we engage people in relationship. We introduce ourselves to our neighbor. That's just engagement uh, and the like, such that we have a platform and ability and a way to talk to them about the message of Jesus Christ, to evangelize them, right? That would be the big next category of thought for some people. For example, I'm... Uh, I work, I run a Christian publishing ministry. I also work at a church. Most of my normal working day is with Christians. And so I operate quite a bit on this side of things. But I also spend the evenings most often at the softball field or baseball field with my kids. And so I can just think, okay, this is just what I do to watch the game. Or I can think about this is my primary area to engage non-Christians. I don't really have any other spot. Most, many of you who work, uh, out in the workforce, you probably work with a lot of non-Christians. Um, but my neighborhood and the softball baseball fields are the primary area where I engage people. And if I think like this, if my whole purpose of life is to honor God and to glorify him by moving to the right and loving people to bring people with me, then these dozens or so people that I'm with regularly are people I need to engage such that, that I can speak the word of truth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. All right, And the second E, and in one sense it's obvious, and it sounds like you guys really know your stuff well here. But I just want to make the point out here, to evangelize someone is to speak the gospel of people's sin, judgment to come, Jesus' death on their behalf, and the resurrection of Jesus so that everyone follows him as Lord. It's not evangelism just to say, hi, my name is Marty. I go to church. That's good engagement. That's a good start. But that's not evangelism. Evangelism is the gospel of sin, the message about sin, repentance, sin, judgment and repentance and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to make sure that's clear. We never want to assume it. So evangelize people. And if in God's kindness, he transfers them into the kingdom of the sun. This is why we love the book of Colossians. We quote it so often there in Colossians twelve, thirteen, fourteen area. Right. That people are in the domain of darkness and in God's kindness, he transfers them into the kingdom of the sun. And if God is kind and do, does that through his spirit and through the proclamation of the word, we start to establish people into the faith, into what it means to have a new father, what it means to have a new family, what it means to have a new agenda, what it means to have a new life. We establish, there's a lot to establish, right? And if you're you know, self-aware enough, and I'm sure you are in here, to know that you're still working on establishing yourself in the pattern of putting off sin and putting on righteousness, that's the daily task, to take up the cross and follow Jesus. So we establish people in the, the the patterns and habits and the understanding and the lifestyle of being a Christian. And as they continue to grow, we equip them, we equip them so that they can look back to the left and bring people with them. Right? We equip them to do this kind of work that they have just gone through themselves. They've moving to the right and now they want to look back to the left and bring others with them. So we think about the four E's as kind of the big, broad categories of where everyone in your life and everyone here at this church is at. And just very personally, this is actually a really good do- tool that you could use. And we might do some of this after lunch to think about, as Tony said, all your ministries, all your activities here at Grace Church. But it's always actually a really good personal list for you to think through. Do you, maybe just, you know, you have the arrow here, you have the four E's, and you could start writing people's names up in this column and think just broadly, where are they at? As we have interacted with the questions, you know, we don't know for sure where everybody's at. This is a kind of a loose, fluid understanding. But I do think personally it's very helpful to think through is where is all the main influences in my life or the people I'm influencing or people I'm in relationship with. Where are they at? And if you did this just as a personal exercise, I know for me, it often means that I don't have very many people that I'm actively trying to speak the gospel. This is when my love just falls inward, right? That I default to my own agenda and I'm just thinking about getting through, you know, kids to practice, paying the bills, doing a good job at church and at Matthias Media. And I fail to forget that this, this category often is the one that I'm not actively striving with all of God's energy, Colossians 129, to speak the word of life to people. And then I think the other place that we often kind of fall short on is equipping people. And again, it kind of falls prey to the same um, misunderstandings that we mentioned earlier, is that we think that's the church's job, that's Pastor Matt's job, that's, that's the professional's job. And in one sense, they're here to help, and equ- and help you do this. But as I read the Bible with a friend, or I encourage a friend in the Lord... My goal is not just to establish that person, that Christian, but it's actually to equip that person to go and do likewise to all of their friends, all their people, people that they're influencing and in relationship with. And so we think about this equipping side of things. It's often that we fall short uh, for many reasons. And some of it, we don't have the skill or understanding. And that's okay. That's why you have each other at church. Uh, But let me just make the big point here is that who are you for e <laughs> uh, I love lists. Uh, one of my great therapies in life is to take all the lists that I, that I keep and rewrite them. It makes me feel better, and it's great. I actually don't have to do actually anything on the list. Uh, and it just makes, gives me therapy, and I rewrite my list all the time, and I circle things, and, and it's great. And so I have lots of to-do lists in all areas of my life. But I just wonder sometimes, is it worth having a two-people list? Now, when people aren't projects in kind of a mechanical way, but in one sense, we all are projects, right? We are all moving towards maturity in Christ. And if my great love for people is to see them move to the right, it actually is fairly helpful for me to think, OK, our neighbors, Jim and Alice, we've engaged with them quite a bit. They know we go to church, but I can't tell you if they've ever heard the gospel of judgment to come and salvation from that judgment in Jesus Christ. So when I see Jim and Alice on that list, it reminds me to prayerfully say, God, give me the love for them to move them to the next step. Okay, so maybe a two people list. I don't know if that works for you. But you do want to think about the people around you and how you can help them through using the four P's move towards maturity in Christ. Now, there's one more set of helpful, I think, uh, tools that we're going to layer onto this. And we move from the four P's to the four E's now to the three C's because this actually gives us more specificity um, on how is it that we do move someone to the right in terms of what we're looking for. And the first thing we're looking for is for someone to grow in conviction, what they believe. What you believe. Right? What is your conviction about what this world is, who's in charge, your role in it, and where it's all going? What someone believes about why the world is a mess. What you believe about the Bible and what it speaks to the world. Right? Conviction is the first C that we think about in terms of growing disciple-making disciples, growth in Conviction. And then the second one is character. It's taking the things that you believe and living them out. It's showcasing what you really believe. Someone once said to me once, and I think it's probably an overstatement to a certain extent, but I think it's helpful is that uh, convictions are things you're willing to suffer and or die for. Everything else is just opinion. And I appreciate that because it did focus us down to say, what are the things I'm willing to suffer for? Probably many of you in here, if you're like us in Ohio, you get riled up about politics. Right? But are you willing to suffer and die for your political views? Uh, in one sense, I hope not. I hope, and, and therefore, you know what? I'm going to get to the things in life that are convictional. The things I'm going to stand on and I can do no other, as Martin Luther may have said at one point. Right. So the convictions I have in life drive my character as I'm willing to express, believe and express these convictions no matter what. And they form the very essence of who I am. If I believe that sin is a lie of the devil, if I believe sin is bondage to the devil, then my character should be formed away from sin, not towards it. And then the third C we have here is uh, competency. is the ability to take your convictions and your character's form such that you can pass on your convictions and showcase the character you're supposed to have as a Christian to others. It's the abilities, the skills to teach and train and raise up other disciple makers. And I've actually found as I was sitting here listening to Tony this morning, which is really interesting how the three C's play themselves out the same and differently at each Segment of the four E's. Because back here in, in, in Evangelize, right, we are strongly focusing on conviction. What do you believe about yourself, your way of life, and the world, in the future, right? But of course, there's an interplay between our convictions, I already said, and our character, such that we often can talk about with people. is like, why do you think the world is such a mess? What do you think is wrong with the world, right? How people behave is often driven we or always driven on what they believe. And so you're back here further to the left. You often talk with people about conviction, about what they believe, about what you believe. Right? And over here on the right, we actually still same with that model. But we actually understand now that the, our convictions have a direct link to our character and our competencies. Paul says that. Romans chapter 12, right? Since we have these mercies of God, let us offer ourselves of spiritual sacrifices and give proper worship to the Lord in all of our lives. Since we know we're convicted that God is merciful to us, since we know where the world is going, let our character be formed because of that. And so you could actually modify our definition of disciple-making as saying is wherever someone is at, helping them take the next step forward in conviction, character, or competency using the four Ps. And again, this plays out so different for each person. Someone whose character, someone who's struggling as a Christian here, as Tony says, you know, this is the model of the Christian life. Someone whose character they're struggling with we don't just address their character issue. We go back and say, remember what we believe about sin, about righteousness, about Jesus. Okay. But also this third C is one that is often misunderstood. Competency. Let me just say it this way. What happens is at Old North Church, because we believe in, strongly that all Christians to be, are to be evangelists, we will often run an evangelism training course, right? something Tony's actually finished, just finished a course called Share the Gospel. That was a follow-up to learn the gospel that I showcased earlier. Uh, There's lots of different evangelism training courses, lots of good ones. And what happens is we get a good number of people who show up. We are training them on the competency to look back here in this area to help move someone to evangelize them. We get 30, 40, 50, 60 people. Sometimes all our our small groups go through an evangelism or some type of competency training. And then what happens? Six months later, we find that really no one's evangelizing more. Why not? Well, it's f- failure to the, in the leadership. I'll just take uh, <laughs> I'll take that myself and say that my problem was I focused only on competency to move a Christian from an established Christian to equipping Christian. And I didn't focus enough on our conviction and character. And what did Tony say earlier is the big move here for the Christian to move from someone who's just thinking about how do I orient my own life around Christianity is to start thinking about others in love. Of course, I would say many of us in this room, and myself included, there are skills and abilities and competencies that I don't have quite a good grasp on that prevents me or inhibits me from sharing the gospel. But fundamentally, the issue I have, and I would guess, maybe I'll guess, but I think it's probably fair, the issue you have is a fundamental character issue of love. And think about where is that love driven from? It's a conviction that do I believe my neighbor will face the wrath of God in his or her own righteousness unless they have the covering of the righteousness of Christ? Do I really believe that? Or do I believe because I'm culturally Midwest like you and it's like everybody's, they're generally nice people. And they'll be fine. Now I would never say that out loud as I just did, but that's what's going on in my heart and mind. And so these three C's actually all kind of work together at all times along the process. Sometimes, like the P's, one sticks out as more important than the other at that time for someone to make that next step to the right. But they're all three always involved, always there. Now, I'm going to stop there and just just take any questions, all right? We were thinking about disciple making is, you know, we started off as moving someone towards maturity, moving someone to the right. We've layered on the idea that we're actually trying to help someone progress through the four E's as they grow towards maturity in Christ. And then we can be even more specific and say that wherever someone's at, we want to help them grow in their conviction, character and competency in order for that person to make the next step to the right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So the question it, it, you're facing something we all face in different ways. Um, is, is that how is it that someone who I'm engaged with in terms of, in, in, you know, I can have a conversation with, how is it that I can move that person, especially this is the big block often, and we're going to come back to this, but I think it's just worth saying some things now. Um, the idea of how to move someone into proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to both, similar to raising the bar and lowering the barrier, I want to re- encourage you, as Tony did earlier, that your goal, sometimes we kind of get um, all or nothing and we lose the idea that we're incrementalist because that's really how growth happens incrementally. So kind of forget the idea that we're not trying to get someone there to hear in one day or one hour or whatever. And so just by moving someone to the right in the engagement quadrant is really helpful. So one of those ways is simply, like Tony mentioned earlier, by me introducing myself to my neighbor. I still have neighbors. I've lived in the same neighborhood for 12 years that I haven't met. And so I think, OK, next Halloween or before is the time when we're all outside. It's interesting. We lost power two weekends ago and we were all outside. I was thinking, wow, this is really a kindness of God, that we're all outside and talking. Just by me having someone who's far away but lives next to me introducing myself, I've just moved that person one step to the right. You think in your terms, maybe a step to the right is actually not necessarily getting in a gospel conversation, not that we intentionally avoid it, but could we get into a serious non-gospel or non-political conversation where we end up fighting and talk serious about, okay, yeah, I mean, I... I hear when you say you, you hate these these riots or some police brutality. Uh, and what, what do you think? What would you do or what do you think is the cause of all this? We, we kind of think we know the answers, but it's worth getting trying to get into a non gospel, non fighting, serious conversation. And I think just I'll just speak on our own context that one of the big issues, as I mentioned earlier, is that no one could get into a serious conversation with someone else without getting a fight about politics. So whatever that means for you here, you've got to figure that out. And it doesn't mean we lose our convictions that form some some of our political views that come from the Lord God himself through his word. But it does mean we have to be wise, as Colossians 4 says, is know how to make the most of our time with outsiders. And to say, because these issues are peripheral, I'm willing, I'm not going to get in a fight about that. I'm not going to push back that so that I can advance this Relationship to have serious non gospel non fighting conversations in order that you can establish that relationship such that you know what we 've been talking for you know, a number of weeks now about all the problems in the world. I, I was just curious, would you let me tell you um, kind of how I see things and I am just curious what you think back to that um, again these are there are no silver bullets, but it, the encouragement is to remind you that incrementally Moving some of the right is still moving some of the right. Now, I will say also, but here's the punch on that, is Tony mentioned earlier, this is where we often stop. This is where we often stop because we're not sure exactly what to say. We're afraid we don't have the right answers. Uh, We're afraid we might offend them if you're a people pleaser. Uh, you might get into trouble at your job. You actually might lose your job. Uh, I have a friend who was a manager at Starbucks, and um, he was a minority. He was a Latino guy, um, he had, and they fired him because, effectively, he was a Christian. Um, and so you may lose your job at this point. There's all sorts of barriers here, um, and this is the role of prayer, and it's the role of having each other. Um, one of the things we're moving into in our season at our small groups is trying, we, have, we're, we don't have great names for things at our church. We're calling evangelism opportunity cards, where we say we're writing down our two or three names of people in our small group. And then we have a list of, I think, eight things, possibilities of what we could do with someone from asking them to come to church, inviting them to read the Bible one-to-one, uh, and a number of other things. And each week, we're going to go through and say, Matt, you know, how is it going with Matt in trying to get him to read the Bible with you. And so this is the role of having all of God's people to surround you, to encourage you. I know I can't give you any, again, silver bullet answer, but these are some of the ways to think about it. Tony, as you're sitting here listening, any thoughts from your end? Uh, all
2: you've said is really helpful, Marty. Uh, I think as, we're, as, we, as we try to train Christians, um, so up at this end, how can, I, how can we train and equip each other to have these conversations in the workplace over the back fence, one of the things we often we often focus on is just um, is to persuade Christians not to censor their speech. So um, you say sometimes it's like a hard start to kind of go from we're just talking about the weather to have you ever considered the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a bit of a kind of change of gears, right? And it's clunky and it's kind of that's a hard relation My son just
1: had a great hit have you thought about hell recently
2: yes <laughs> right. Right, exactly but it's interesting how we censor our speech so if you're with a christian friend and i'll say how was your weekend um or as we say in australia did you have a good weekend um we kind of talk about all sorts of stuff oh, i had a, yeah i did this i did that and we out to dinner on sunday and church was wonderful um, Pastor Phil was on fire and he was telling me, he was telling us this and there was this first it was great and then we had a great lunch with some people and, and prayer group was fantastic and then I went to work on Sunday. We had that exact same conversation at, in the grocery store and we told them about our Saturday and how great that was and we just kind of slide over, slide, we, we just don't, we censor ourselves as if that's not who we are or part of our life. So huge, huge thing we try to equip people to do is just to talk normally about who you are yeah. and honestly and don't censor yourself. Don't compartmentalise your Christian life into this stuff that you talk about with your Christians, and your secular life that you talk about with your non-Christian secular workmates. Just be yourself. Um, talk. Say say how much you enjoyed the sermon on Sunday, and it was fascinating because it brought up the whole subject of forgiveness. And I just think forgiveness is a huge issue for me, and I just found it a really great message. And we thought we talked about it, and it was really good. Let's see what happens. Just be honest about who you are and what you've heard and what you're thinking, what you're reading. I'm reading a great book at the moment. It's incredible. It's about how Christ fulfills the Old Testament into the New. I don't know if you've ever thought about that because it's incredible. It's blowing my mind. Just be honest. It might lead nowhere. It might lead somewhere. You keep praying that it leads somewhere. And as Marty says, you keep always loving and showing an interest in the other person. If if something's going on and they're raging about the latest thing that they're outraged about, ask them about it. Why do you think that? What do you think the underlying issue is? Be interested in them and their, and their issues. So, and you find that if you do all those things, talk honestly about who you are and what you believe in a natural way, just don't be embarrassed. This, this is who I am. And pray. You just find that God gives you all kinds of opportunities for a next step.
1: Um, yeah, and so two things to say that. One, as Tony was saying, um, I find myself as he said this many times over the years, and I've heard it and I've said it, I've realized I'm self-censoring more, more than I ever think. Yeah. Uh, so we have a neighbor named Jeff and... My wife's named Abigail, Abby. We have a neighbor named Jeff and Abby, neighbors named Jeff and Abby, right across shared driveways in that sense. We're always... They're out doing uh, bonfires on the weekends. We try to go over and say hello. Um, we realized over the year, as we took assessment of where we're at with them, is that we realized we're more comfortable talking about church and so in one sense, that's good because we're talking about getting to spiritual things. But in another sense, we know that's still safe ground. They grew up kind of in church. They don't have any overt vitriol against church that we know of. But this is the pain point that we realize that we are still need to be more overt and open to talk about. And as Tony says, coming out in, in, in normal everyday conversations does lose the, the, the sting of at least the abruptness. The gospel will have a sting because it's saying to someone, you're wrong. The very essence of who you are is wrong. You're going in the wrong direction and you will face judgment both now and in the future. That's very, that's, that does have a sting and it's very offensive. But... Uh, we realize that we, we keep running up on this because we are afraid for that sting. Rico Tice is a guy who wrote a book called Honest Evangelism. He's in England, uh, a really good evangelist. I encourage you to read it. It's very short. But he talks about this is the pain point. And once you own, know and own the pain point and the more you push past it, the easier it will become to get past it. And those of you who are more evangelistically minded or experienced, you know, the more you get past the pain point, the less the pain becomes. So I want to, again, similar to both, there's good news and bad news. It will become easier, kind of, the more you push yourself past the pain point. Right? And I just going to say as, as both an encouragement uh, and a reinforcement that, you are no different. If this is struggle for you, you're no different than lots of other people. Okay? That's the word of encouragement. The, the word of, of maybe exhortation is to say, if you love people, you will speak the truth of the gospel to them. Because that is what's best for them and it's best for the Lord. So it's, it's the working out of the two great commandments we mentioned earlier. Do I love Jesus? Okay. Of him and his words, I will not be ashamed of. Otherwise, when he comes, when I come, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you. That should haunt us in a good way. Uh, and so this part of the, the move to the ease is really hard. After lunch, we're going to talk about this barrier a little bit more. Why, how it's hard for people. I mean, you have about the same size as our church back in Ohio here, about a thousand people in a Sunday adult's. And how is it that many of them come just to consume good music, good sermons, good programs, but why aren't they interested in others? That's the other pain point we said. But any other questions before we kind of round off here for lunch? Yeah. Yes, it's called Honest Evangelism. Author Rico Tice. I'd always also encourage you, uh, Tony's written to learn the gospel and uh, this summer will be share the gospel and that will be a, little, a really good resource as well. But Honest Evangelism, Rico Tice. Any other questions? Four P's, four E's, four C's. And let me just remind you, there's nothing special. You don't have to remember these. These are meant to be Ways that you can summarize, remember and summarize, and then talk to others about what disciple making is. And just as I reflect back on the 12 years at Old North Church, um, I never would have thought, I know everybody's looking at the food. We're going to eat the food. We, I promise you we will eat the food. Um, as the four, uh, just one second. Um, as, as I look back, I realize it is much more valuable and important for us to have shared shorthand language around this than I ever would have guessed 12 years ago, even seven years ago. We have in our leadership group, I'm doing this with a group of 60 leaders in a Sunday school class on Sunday morning, and we realize how helpful it's been to think in shorthand summary with the same language to say, oh, did you meet that new person, Jill? What do you think the next step to the right for her is? Immediately, all 60 of us know what, what we're talking about, and immediately someone thinks, okay, who's going to get in front of Jill to get to know her so that she, they know which of the C's need to be addressed for Jill to move one step to the right? So we're not suggesting you have to use the, the language of four P's, four E's, and four C's. Tony and others have done a lot of hard work to come up with that, so it is memorable, But what we are suggesting is that it's really important to have shared language and shared understanding about what you're all trying to do together, okay? So I'd encourage you, ask your leaders to say, help train us and then others on shorthand language to to encapsulate these ideas so that we can go, that all hundred of you in here could go out and train others of the thousand adults and beyond how to make disciples who make disciples, okay? Okay. I think, is there anything else you want to say before lunch? No, good. No, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that, but um, do you want to come up and pray? Or do you want me? To-
0: yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll take it from there. Is there anything? Oh, we got two hands. Oh, A I'm quick. Sorry. Carrie, Amelia, I'm sorry. Yep.
1: Yes, I did forget. Sorry. C, son, or the chow? <laughs> yes, chow. You always, in context of food, right? Everything is better in context of food. I'm, I'm with you. Yes, uh, someone... Oh, did I say four C's? There's just three C's. Four P's, four E's, three C's. Maybe we'll come up with a four C to be symmetrical. They
0: reserve the four C's for their non-Baptist churches that they go and speak to, maybe. Hey, while while we're on on that, before we, uh, lunch is getting set out. Are there any other, so we're hearing a lot of definitions and language that's so helpful. Is there anything that you would like from Marty or Tony to repeat so that you can write down? We are a note-taking church, which is great. Anything. Language or definition? Okay, great. Great. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Relationship yeah. with, with with the seas. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I would say
1: that if your character is one of love, then you will want to skill and ability to spread that love with the verbal proclamation. Yes, we share the love of Christ in terms of how we live and sacrifice for others. You know, do not consider ourselves more hallowed than we ought or humble ourselves Philippians 2 type way. But it's also again, we tend to stop there but it's our conviction that the gospel is not a moral moral lifestyle though it's important the gospel is a message about who is in charge of the world that can only be shared if you believe that by speaking right and so that conviction shares your spreads into your, comp, your I'm sorry your character to say if i love jesus and i love others i need to share i have to have the competency to share it. And the things we've been talking about are just trying to raise your competencies. Yeah, we don't want to make it overly technical. Competency is just growing in your abilities to speak what you believe. And to share and amplify that with your character. Right? That's a great kind of connection Titus 2 does, right? That your lifestyle isn't the gospel, but Titus 2, 9 and 10, your lifestyle adorns the gospel. Right, And those are the connection there. Then it goes in Titus two eleven. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Right, the three C's are all kind of right there in Titus two. It's a really good little passage.